a top-ranked Swarming D, a likely MVP of the league? Are the Baltimore Ravens that team? A lot to unpack after last night's drubbing in San Francisco as the expectations are Super Bowl a bust for John Harbaugh and company, plus all the latest playoff permutations as we're down to the final two weeks of the season. NBA Christmas Day didn't disappoint as Luka put up a 50-piece on Phoenix. The Celtics got the upper hand versus the Lakers, and Steve Kerr complains about Nikola Jokic's treatment by the refs. There's a new evil empire in baseball as the Dodgers have the bullseye on them after signing prize pitcher Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I have one more gift for you to unwrap as I present a special post-Christmas podcast. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael, people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Christmas is coming on, but not without one last parting gift, as I have plenty to harp on after a busy weekend of sports, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and I hope that everyone enjoyed their Christmas holiday whether it was with family, friends, or even alone for that matter, and that's perfectly fine. But as we try to get through this holiday season with one more yet on the horizon, we still have plenty of days to chew on before we can usher in 2024. But I do hope one last time that Christmas was very kind to you, certainly more nice than naughty, as we get through this final week of 2023. And with the NFL, as we'll start there, we're just two weeks away from the end of the regular season. And last night, in Santa Clara, California, a lot of people looked at this game between the Ravens and Niners as arguably two of the best teams in the sport. I'm sure there'll be certain factions that would think that the Eagles, despite their three-game losing streak up until yesterday, when they had to sweat out a win against the Giants in the final seconds, or even the Miami Dolphins who had a big win on Sunday against the Cowboys, I'm sure there's going to be a faction of Dolphin fans that believe they belong in that discussion, in that conversation, and have a big game against the Ravens, and that's where we're going to start, people, because are the Ravens that team? Are the Ravens a team that, of course, we're going to take seriously, a team that has been in front pretty much from the start of the year, and yes, they've had a couple of hiccups along the way, whether that be at home against Indianapolis very early in the season, and then that one trip to Pittsburgh where they just fell flat on their faces, especially late in the game, And then on top of that, you had the one loss against Cleveland where they had a big lead against the Browns and they came storming back to win, which happened to be Deshaun Watson's last game in a Brown uniform this year. And since then, they've been on a roll. And they took this game personally last night, knowing that they were a five and a half point underdog against a team that had been rolling after starting off 5-0, losing three straight, and then getting back on a six-game winning streak. A lot of people thought that this was going to be a grudge match unlike any other this late in the season against a potential and quite possible Super Bowl 58 matchup. But last night, there were no bones about who were the better team as the Ravens and their top-ranked defense 
to go along with the now likely MVP frontrunner and a one Lamar Jackson, which would actually be his second MVP here in his career, which says a lot considering that in between, as electrifying and dynamic as he is, he has not come anything close to where he was back in 2019 when they were 14-2 and but got bounced in the divisional round against the, I was going to say Indianapolis Colts, it was actually the Tennessee Titans, if you recall, but for the Ravens. That East Coast to West Coast trip late in the year, one that I'm sure a lot of players don't like or even relish for that matter, but I'm sure from the time midweek up until last night, they were salivating at the thought of this game, and boy, did they show up and show out to the tune where Brock Purdy was a mere mortal, three first-half picks, four interceptions on the night for him, including getting an injury there in the game where he exited with it looked like to be a shoulder injury, although it was innocent from the start. And then you had Sam Darnold at 33-19 as they were coming down the field to see if they could get within a touchdown. Gets picked off there for a fifth turnover. And the Ravens were just swarming all night long. Their defense, although very good, but there are, not to throw cold water on them, I'm going to wait till the end of the regular season to do so because this is not the time to get on the Ravens as much as I have complete disdain for them. But you have to give it up. They were... Just stellar, and they had a slow start to the game where they were down 5 nothing. You had that weird play with Lamar who had to drop back, and then he bumped into the referee in the end zone, which cost them a safety, but that didn't bother them. They pretty much dusted themselves right off, and from that point on, just dominated the game. And these two teams, it's interesting because I've talked about in the last few weeks How the Cowboys and Dolphins, who actually played one another on Sundays, you know, they are mirror images of one another. And I look at these two teams as the same. They like to be a little bit more run-oriented, although we know that they're lethal in the passing game, and more so for the Ravens recently because they've never really had that type of offense to where you would really have to worry about Lamar dropping back in the pocket and making throws. Although he's not accurate, and although he can be erratic when he's in the pocket, But he has made plays this year to the tune of, as I mentioned, him being the guy and the likely candidate to win another MVP. But for these two teams who like to play from in front, they do not want to play from behind where they're going to have to throw the ball all over the lot. They want to keep it to a tidy, I would think in a perfect world, 25 passes a game. They certainly don't want to go over 30. In the case of Lamar Jackson, I believe he was, what, 23 or 35 last night? And Purdy was 18 for 32, but with the four interceptions. And what you had there was just a dominant Raven performance to where a lot of people are going to think that this is the team to beat here in the NFL. Do I think that's the case? I said I wasn't going to throw cold water because once you get into January, it's a whole different beast. And even though we could say here on December 26th that the Ravens are the team to beat, I'm not going to say that just yet. Let me get to the championship game. And then we could see where the dust settles at that point. Because you can't champion these teams. And although it's fodder for sports talk like myself, but we can't look at what took place there last night as an indication that this team is better than that one. Yes, for 60 minutes as we saw, the Ravens were the better team. But do you expect Brock Purdy to have that same duplicate performance if they were to meet in a Super Bowl at Allegiant Stadium in the middle of February? I can't say that. And just like we could talk about various performances throughout the year for certain teams on a high note, whether it was San Francisco beating Dallas there in week four or week five, whenever it was, or the same later on when San Francisco obliterated the Eagles there earlier this month, and it's easy to proclaim them as the league's best or a team that you could just pretty much hand them the trophy right now. But we all know champions are made in December, they're made in February. So as much as we could talk about the Ravens for all of their stellar play, and we have to give them credit. No ifs, ands, buts, babies about it. And although they have a Super Bowl winning coach and a one John Harbaugh, which was many moons ago, but this team right now, they're either peaking or have peaked. And they will have to buy if they beat Miami here this coming Sunday. And they could put their feet up against Pittsburgh and rest their players or maybe give them a quarter just to at least get some game action under their belt. But the bullseye is going to be on the Ravens this year, similar to 2019 when they were 14-2 and and they dominated the sport that year. 
And this offense is not as run-oriented as we've seen in years past. They still have Gus Edwards in the mix. They had that just terrible blow with Keaton Mitchell, who was out for the year with an ACL. Lamar Jackson led in rushing there yesterday, which you had, what, I think 45 yards on the ground, whatever it was. I think it was a little bit more than that. But this team is going to be more reliant on the pass. And my thing is, is that are you going to trust Lamar Jackson in a divisional game or even more so in a championship game? In his building, with the money that he got from his contract this offseason, that he's going to have to stand and deliver in a big spot. Because as we know at this very moment, they're a team that's a Super Bowl contender. But they're going to have to get to a Super Bowl and win in order to make this whole run complete. Because if they get picked off in a division round, or they lose a close game in a championship setting for the conference, people are going to forget about the game that happened on Christmas night against San Francisco. And if you're the Niners, it's pretty much a thing where maybe this was a good loss to have to kind of get your bearings back. Now it does set up an interesting final couple of weeks there in the NFC because we thought that if they would have won last night, they would have cruised to a one seed in the NFC, but now that's not the case. And I'll break that down in a little bit. But to me, this is just a blip in the radar. Brock Purdy got it out of his system, and I understand he's had a couple of other bad games this year, preferably the game in Cleveland, that even though he marched his team down for a game-winning field goal, which was missed there by the kicker Jake Moody, but other than that, last night was the big blemish on his resume, knowing that he went up against a big-time defense in his building and did not perform along the likes of what he has done here in the first, whatever it is, 20-some-odd games of his NFL career. But the Niners will be fine. We're going to get to see what's going to happen here over the course of the next two weeks. And I'll break that down momentarily as to the latest playoff picture when it comes to both conferences. The other big game over the weekend was in Miami on Sunday. And this was tough for me to watch because I was with family. And even though the game was on the background, but I couldn't really get a full grasp of this game. Now, this does not fall on the Dallas Cowboy offense. Dak Prescott had a very good game. Marched his team down the field to get the go-ahead touchdown to make it 20-19 to there late. But the defense couldn't make a stop. And that's all there was to it. And I don't want to hear Micah Parsons, who is a guy we all know, top defensive player in the sport. I'm sure he's going to get his shine as the best NFL defensive player of the year, I would think, multiple times before his career is done. But if the Cowboys, who cannot win a big road game to save their lives... And for them to know that they had a few minutes left in that game, I think when the Cowboys scored that touchdown, there had to be what? Four or five minutes left in the fourth quarter. I'll pull that up now just to get it official. In fact, it was 3.27 to go where Prescott made that clutch throw to Brandon Cooks in the back left side of the end zone. And even though it was the slimmest of margins, 20-19, to but the Cowboys, all they had to do was make one stop. Did they do that? Absolutely not. March down the field set themselves up where the Cowboys had no timeouts. They couldn't stop the clock. So the Dolphins were able to milk the clock, take a couple of knees deep in Cowboy territory. And Jason Sanders, who hit field goals all over the lot, whether it be from 54, 57, or in this case, he hit it from 29 yards. The Dolphins come away with a huge win and a win that they needed the most just to keep pace with the Baltimore Ravens, knowing that they have a big date with them in Baltimore for the one seed in the AFC, and the Dolphins were able to win a big game against a big opponent, which they haven't really done all year, more so on the road than at home, but they've beaten a lot of bad teams along the way, similar to the Cowboys' fate, as I talked about, mirror images with one another, similar to Baltimore and San Francisco, but for the Dolphins to get that win was enormous, and for the Cowboys, again, you're not going to be able to Convince me that this team in a huge spot, playoffs, money on the line, on the road, are going to win a big game. Can it be competitive? We've seen that here in Miami. We've seen that even in Philadelphia last month. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be fully confident whether I'm a Cowboy fan or not. And everybody knows I'm not. But just as a watcher and someone who follows the sport week in and week out, You cannot tell me otherwise that this team, can they be prepared? Yes. Are they game to at least be competitive? I would say yes to that as well. But life on the line, 
Are they going to be able to win in Philadelphia or win in San Francisco at this point, this late in the season? I can't say that's going to be the case. And now the Dolphins are going to have to show and prove here, and I'll talk more about that on Thursday's podcast, but now the Dolphins are going to have to show the world whether or not they mean business as far as this year is concerned. Because if they go up to Baltimore and win that game, that's going to show to me that this team could be ready to make that next step. Knowing that they'll have the entire playoff run through their building as opposed to having a couple of games in their building and then have to go on the road. And at this very moment, it's not guaranteed because even though they have a two-game lead in the division over Buffalo, but because Miami has to go to Baltimore and with the Bills hosting New England and wanting to exact some revenge after losing to the Patriots earlier in the season in Foxborough, there is a possibility that the final game of the season and you would think Sunday night NBC... If the Dolphins lose and the Bills win with the Bills being one game behind in the division, there is a chance that Buffalo could be your AFC East winner when it's all said and done. As far as the other takeaways from this weekend, the Lions wrapped up the NFC North by beating the Vikings. And these are games that I tried to follow throughout the course of the day. It was a busy Christmas Eve for me, people. So I'm going to kind of blitz through this just so I could get to all the permutations of what to expect here over the last two weeks when it comes to playoff positioning and who's in and who's out and on the fringe, etc. So for the Lions, who wrapped up that spot, and Minnesota, who is still in the playoff mix in the NFC, although that was a tough loss for them, for them to not be able to have a shot to win a division, knowing that they have another game against the Lions in Detroit, but that's moot considering that the Lions were able to win in Minnesota, so they have themselves locked up a three seed at the current moment, as they currently are, what is their record, 10 and 6, I believe, or maybe they're 11 and 5 at the moment, I should know this off the top of my head, no, they're 11 and 4, so Jay Reels is all over the map here to get this segment underway, but good for the Lions as they won their first division in forever, and now let's see where the chips fall, whether or not they're going to be a two seed, They're not going to be a one seed, you would think, when it's all said and done, even though there is a logjam there at the top of the NFC. But again, I'll break that down in a little bit. But at the present moment, you have a scenario where the Lions are entrenched and have secured a playoff spot there in the NFC. Other than that, the I'll switch to the AFC just for this reason, because of that logjam there where Houston, Jacksonville, and the Indianapolis Colts are all at 8-7, and seven, and the Jaguars have fallen flat on their faces here. They were 8-3 and three four weeks ago and looked like they were going to cruise to an AFC South division title. And right now, with the status of Trevor Lawrence and who knows how he's going to be on the mend here over the course of these next few days leading into the weekend and, of course, these final two weeks. But between them, Houston without C.J. Stroud, who knows if he's going to come back as he's been in concussion protocol. And Indianapolis who lost there in Atlanta on Sunday with Gardner Minshew and company. And we know that they've been inconsistent as well. But that is going to come down to, you would think, the final week of the season with these teams as to who's going to come out as a division winner and host a playoff game when it's all said and done. And as it's currently constituted with the Indianapolis Colts, they're going to play the Texans' final game of the season to be determined as to when that game is going to be played because of the times. I'm sure they're going to try to make it to where these teams are going to play in the same window and not have, let's say, Jacksonville play at 1 o'clock and have Indianapolis and Houston play at 4. They want to have it to where they don't have to scoreboard watch at all. Everything's going to happen in real time. So we're going to have to wait and see when the time of these games are going to be. As it is, just knowing that Indianapolis is going to play Houston, you know that Jacksonville is going to play Tennessee. Tennessee, they're dangerous. They're a team that has been able to scratch and claw and be in these games close. They are tough mentally, although they are challenged offensively with the talent and the rookie quarterback. And defensively, they could be hot and cold. But that's a game we're going to have to watch there and that final Sunday to see whether or not who's going to come out of the AFC South, as I mentioned. You had the Browns who beat the Texans there and put themselves in a good spot where they're probably going to be entrenched in the Five seed in the AFC. I don't know if they're going to be able to catch Baltimore, even though they're a game behind them right now. But with Baltimore having their final two games against Miami and Pittsburgh, stranger things have happened 
as we've seen here, and with Cleveland playing the Jets in the final Thursday night game a couple of days from now, and then they'll go to Cincinnati to wrap up their season, and Cincinnati took a huge blow to their playoff hopes by losing in Pittsburgh, where, newsflash, the Steelers put up 34 points, up 24-0 at the half, and had a rocking chair game for the first time all year, and kept their slim hopes alive to where Mason Rudolph, 290 yards of offense, And George Pickens almost had 200 receiving yards, a couple of touchdowns, and the Steelers kept themselves afloat, even though on the outside looking in as far as the AFC goes, but they're going to need a lot more help, so they're going to need Indianapolis to lose as they'll lose a tiebreaker to them. They're going to need Houston to lose as they lost to them early in the year as far as tiebreakers are concerned. Even Jacksonville, for that matter, they do not have a tiebreaker advantage against them when they lost to them earlier this year at AccraSure Stadium. So we're going to have to have all these teams to lose. You would think Buffalo, who's now propelled themselves into the AFC playoff mix, they were 11th going into that Cowboy game last week. And now they're all the way up to 6. After them beating the Chargers on Saturday night, and if it wasn't for a situation to where late in the game, the Chargers were able to milk the clock out to kick the game-winning field goal, but it looked like there was a touchdown that would have put them ahead and had the Chargers given them an opportunity to maybe march down the field to put it in the end zone to upset and spoil the Bills' playoff hopes. But because the player, the receiver's knee was down, they had the ball deep in Charger territory. They were able to milk the clock out, kick a game-winning field goal, and put themselves in a position to where they're now in the AFC playoff mix and not on the outside. So that's one we'll have to keep in mind there. And then the Rams give it up to them. They played Thursday night beating the Saints and giving them a bit of a death blow to their playoff hopes considering what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done. But the Rams first as they played well here and made me look like a fool. I picked them as an under this year at six and a half and they've already won eight games. The Rams. Tremendous job by Sean McVay. And if you recall during training camp, Matthew Stafford, his wife and her podcast had said that when he arrived at training camp, he didn't even know half of the players on the team. And remember, this is a team that won a Super Bowl not even two years ago. So for him to go into training camp in a locker room with unfamiliar faces, and we thought after the salary cap hell that they had to go through to trade Jalen Ramsey, they had to really revamp and reshape their roster to where they got gems, whether your name is Kyron Williams from Notre Dame or even Puka Nakua, the kid out of BYU, and now they've reinvented themselves and put themselves in a position to where They are right now in the thick of things when it comes to making it in the NFC playoffs. So you got to give them a ton of credit. And with the Saints, just another death blow to them as it looks like they're going to have to fight tooth and nail and they have a huge game against the Buccaneers, which is going to be the end-all, be-all for them this year. And that's a must-win for a Saint team if they have any shot of making it to the playoffs. But you have that. You also have a couple of other games here that are worth note. Yesterday, the Chiefs, they are going to finally, and it's official here, there's no way that they're going to host the AFC playoffs in their building throughout the course. As long as they're alive, they're going to have to at least have one playoff game of note in their building, and then it's going to be Road Central, a site that we have not seen in the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes era, and inexplicable where they had two turnovers in a matter of seven seconds there in the second quarter. And the Vegas Raiders were able to hold on to win 20-14. to You had more drops, more ineptitude on offense. And it's amazing to think that this team won a Super Bowl last year with pretty much the same cast of characters. Now, I understand Juju Smith-Schuster is in New England, but you still have Isaiah Pacheco, who had to leave the game there yesterday. Who knows what his status is going to be moving forward. You have guys like Kadarius Toney, who obviously has been up and down all year. Travis Kelsey with the... Pop and circumstance off the field, overshadowing what he's done on the field and maybe even showing a bit of age there, not being that all-pro player that he once was. And it looks like the Chiefs, they may win one game in the playoffs because they had that one game in their building and maybe they'll eke out a road win based on experience, especially let's say if they have to go to Miami, for instance. But I can't see them going any deeper than that. And who knows? They may not even get out of the first round with the way they've been playing of late after that brutal performance there yesterday. 
And then you had the Eagles get back in the win column after a tough stretch, losing to San Francisco, to Dallas, and then Seattle in that crusher last Monday. But they had to hang on to win a game there yesterday where Tyrod Taylor came in for the bench Tommy DeVito, and who knows if his 15 minutes are up. But Taylor was valiant, but was unable to get the equalizer there. Now, if they would have scored a touchdown, they would have had to convert a two-point conversion to tie and then push the game into overtime. But the Giants did fight hard. But the Eagles were able to win and put themselves, at least as of right this moment, with a decent shot and a puncher's chance of getting the one seed back in the NFC, which would be enormous for them considering that they've bumbled, stumbled, and fumbled here over the last few weeks. So you have that to look forward to if you're an Eagle fan. And then what more can I say? I talked about Tampa, now in control of the NFC South and Jacksonville. Boy, they have really fallen on hard times. And like I mentioned, who knows what's going to happen here with Trevor Lawrence over these Final two weeks. And then you had Seattle win a big game in Tennessee. Again, another tooth and nail type game. Based on not only the final score. Let me just take a good look at this. Now Seattle. They were pretty much. No, it was back and forth. In fact, they had to get a touchdown there late. By Geno Smith. Who his health has been compromised here as of late. As you saw there the week before. With Drew Locke and the heroics there. In Seattle against Philadelphia. But Geno Smith back on the beam. Played very well there in Tennessee to the tune of a last-second touchdown as Seattle keeps their playoff hopes alive. Now, remember, they do not have tiebreakers against the Rams as the Rams swept them, so you have to put that in the back of your noggin when it comes to their records at the end of the year on whether or not the Seahawks will get in, but they still fight to live to see another day, and that was a big win there in Tennessee by the Seahawks to keep their hopes alive. Other than that, I'm not going to get into... Arizona-Chicago, no need to get into that matchup by any stretch. The Jets almost blew a big game to the Commanders. They had a 27-7 lead, and the Commanders came all the way back to take the lead before you had a last-second field goal to at least save the bacon for one Robert Sala because even with Aaron Rodgers in all likelihood coming back next year, and I shouldn't even say in all likelihood, he has gone on record to say that he will come back. But for Sala, that would have been a fireable offense. If he had a 20-0 lead against a dead team walking and a coach that's going to be out the door, if they would have lost that game to Commanders, who knows if Salah would have come back into the building there the next day, let alone Black Monday. So he may have saved his job with that performance. And other than that, that is your schedule for a week number 16. As we'll go through the schedule on Thursday, we'll break that all down to see what the matchups and how that's going to break down here over the course of the next few days. And remember, you do have a Thursday night game, Jets and Cleveland, as I talked about, and you're going to have just a one Saturday matchup, Dallas and Detroit, which is going to be a primetime game, 8-15 on ABC ESPN. So you have Buck and Aikman on the call there. And then you have a full slate there on Sunday, New Year's Eve. There's not going to be a Monday night matchup because you're going to have the college playoff that afternoon into the evening. So you're not going to have a Monday night game. So we'll go through the schedule and all of the matchups there on Thursday's podcast. But now as we break it all down with the standings before we move on to other things. In the AFC, the Miami Dolphins and the Baltimore Ravens. Now the Ravens are 12-3. and And with the win on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins, they will have the one seed locked up in the AFC. And of course, if the Dolphins beat Baltimore, they will be in the fast track to having the one seed barring Buffalo beating Miami, and of course we'll get to that down the road, but as of right this moment, whomever wins that game is going to have the fast track to the one seed in the AFC. After that, you have Kansas City at the third seed at 9-6. and six. Jacksonville currently holding on for dear life with the fourth seed at 8-7. and seven. Your fifth seed, like I mentioned, Cleveland. Sixth is Buffalo as they've catapulted themselves into the top seven. And then Indianapolis, with the tiebreaker over Houston and over Pittsburgh currently, they hold the tiebreaker advantage. And even though Indianapolis did lose to Cincinnati a few weeks ago, but because Cincinnati lost to Pittsburgh and that head-to-head tie and that matchup, and remember, their conference record is atrocious. For a team that is 8-7, and seven, think about this. All seven of their losses have been in the conference. And their other wins have been from beating the Niners, Rams, 
Minnesota, and they also beat Arizona and Seattle. So five of the eight wins are against the NFC, where they're three and seven against the rest of the conference. So that's why they are at the bottom rung there at the eight and sevens, five teams for one spot. Think about that. Now, I understand Jacksonville or Indianapolis, Houston, and it looks like Indianapolis will have the inside track there where Houston could be on the outside looking in when it comes to tiebreakers just based on what we see here. But with all those teams at 8-7, and seven, five of those teams pretty much is going to be for one spot. I get it. You're going to have a division winner there or let's say four for one spot. And right now, Indianapolis is the one team that currently holds that final spot in the AFC. So we'll see how the rest of that all shakes down where tiebreakers, Pittsburgh, the only way for them to get in the playoffs is by having a better record than Indianapolis and Houston, as I mentioned earlier, because they lose out on tiebreakers to those two teams. And that's what you have there in the AFC. The NFC has San Francisco, Philly, and Detroit all at 11-4. and But because San Francisco has the tiebreaker against Philadelphia, they have the inside track. And if you're wondering, could the Lions get the one seed? Right now, they're not going to be able to because their conference record, they're 7-3, and three, and San Francisco is 9-1. and one. So even if they do fall in a flat-footed tie when it's all said and done, that's not going to happen. But the Lions right now are currently third. You have Philly second. Tampa is fourth at 7-8, and eight, followed by Dallas at 5. The Rams at 6, followed by Seattle at 7. And then you have Minnesota, Atlanta, Green Bay, New Orleans, all at 7-8. and eight. So Seattle actually does have the final spot in the conference. And even though they have the same record as L.A., as I mentioned, the Rams have the tiebreaker advantage there. So you're probably going to get, when it's all said and done, three teams that are going to come out of the NFC West. And who would have thought about that at the beginning of the year? Because a lot of people thought Seattle would be a playoff team. The Rams, a lot of people thought they wouldn't even come close to the playoffs. And look at where they're at now. And obviously San Francisco, San Francisco. And if you're Minnesota, Atlanta, Green Bay, the Saints, forget about it. Although they're in the mix for that wild card, but they have to look at the division right now. And they're going to need to win that game against Tampa because they lost to them earlier this year in New Orleans. And if they have any shot to get into the postseason, to me, I think it's going to be through the division. And Tampa could actually win the division with a win, well, they'll certainly knock New Orleans of winning a division by them beating them on Sunday. And Tampa, I believe, closes the season against Carolina. So you would think that they're going to win because Atlanta plays New Orleans week 18. So it's all right in front of Tampa. They win this game, they're going to win a division. That's all there is to it. And I don't think Atlanta, even though with them having a game against the Who do they play this week? Atlanta, I have to look at the schedule. But it's all right there for Tampa. They have control of their own destiny. And all they have to do is just win on Sunday. And that is it. It's a wrap. So that's what you have. Not really a lot of, more so in the AFC than I think than the NFC with all those teams logjammed at 8-7. and Where it's pretty much definitive at this very moment. Where you have your top seven seeds. And you have all those other teams at 7-8 and in the NFC. But that's what we have there as we look forward to a week 17, the penultimate weekend of the NFL season as we end closer to wrapping up the 2023 season. And you know yours truly is going to be waiting with bated breath. All right, now let me lace up my sneakers and let's go through the association as they had their big day yesterday, the five Christmas Day games. And I'll get to the Pistons. I can't start off with the Pistons because tonight they could be part of NBA history as far as futility goes with a 27th consecutive loss as they lost in Brooklyn there Saturday night and they're going to play the Nets again tonight and who knows, maybe they're going to bring back Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, maybe even the recent vintage championship team of 20 years ago, whether it's Rip Hamilton or even Ben Wallace, maybe they'll bring him back into the building just to get any type of Good energy, momentum, whatever it is, just to snap this 26-game losing streak. And look at that. I'm already talking about them to start. So let me just put that on hold to go through the games yesterday. And I wasn't following this tooth and nail. I know that the 
Knicks were able to prevail in the first game against the Bucks, and mind you, the Bucks beat the Knicks Saturday afternoon at the Garden, and in a weird scheduling quirk, they've been here since Friday, I guess mid-afternoon, and they're not going to leave till tomorrow night, Wednesday night, because they're going to play the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn tomorrow. So talk about a Christmas vacation in New York City, as the Bucks are still in town after splitting the two games against the Knicks here, where... Jalen Brunson and company have been very good, and they were able to get the back end of this home series against the Bucks, which I'm not going to say is going to bode well, but remember, they lost to the Bucks in the quarterfinal of the in-season tournament, and the Bucks said, I'm not going to say they've had the Knicks number, but they have played well against them. In fact, off the top of my head, they think they've won seven in a row against the Knicks, dating back a couple of years. I may be wrong, I ought to double-check that, but they were able to win yesterday, and prevailed. And then you had the second game where Golden State and Denver, I know Steve Kerr was just at wit's end with the officials and even called the performance disgusting based on the 18 free throws that Nikola Jokic received throughout the course of the game. And he actually hit all 18, which was a Christmas Day record if you want to go crazy about that. But for the Nuggets who were able to win against Golden State, and we know they've been floundering, although they played a little bit better but certainly have not gotten out the gate with everything that happened earlier this season with Draymond getting that suspension with the chokehold on Rudy Gobert. And then we saw what happened there with Yusef Nurkic and who knows how much longer he's going to be out. But the Warriors and Steve Kerr, they are certainly just frustrated, aggravated. You could break it down however you want, but Golden State has not been able to get themselves on track, and it pretty much blew up last night or yesterday afternoon against Denver with the performance by the officials. Not that you could put it all on them, but Jokic, you know he's going to get a lot of calls. You know he's going to be a magnet for a lot of contact, things of that nature. And as you saw there yesterday, that just was not a good look for the Nuggets, and it's, or excuse me, that was not a good look for the Warriors as we saw there by the coach in the postgame. Then you had the Celtics and Lakers, although it was competitive mid-game, Celtics got out of the gate with a 14-3 lead and then pulled away late where you had big-time contributions from Kristaps Porzingis as the Celtics were able to sweep LA, beating the Clippers there on Saturday and got the back end of this West Coast trip fairly decent after losing the Golden State there last Tuesday. So kudos to the Celtics and their performance in LA over the weekend. And then you had a 50-piece that was put up by Luka Doncic in the nightcap against the Phoenix Suns. And the Suns have not been able to get out of their own way as well this year. A team that a lot of people thought would go to an NBA final. Yours truly with my hand raised high in the air. But for Luka and company, who they're trying to navigate some injuries there with Kyrie. And also after their torrid start, not being able to be a little bit more consistent as being amongst the top two or three teams in the Western Conference. And as it is right now where they stand, not that they're far off or that far behind. They're currently fifth and a game and a half behind Oklahoma City for a third seed. But for Dallas, as they're trying to find their way and be one of those teams that could be a threat there in the Western Conference. So kudos to them and their performance there last night against the Phoenix team, who right now is under 500. They've lost three in a row, and even though with Golden State not playing too well, leapfrogged them in the standings to where they have the 10th seed in the Western Conference, where the Lakers are not too far behind. They're just a half game behind the Lakers in the West as the ninth seed. It's going to be fascinating, similar to last year when you think about it, how the Lakers were floundering out of the gate, and they were in that 7-10 to range. Not to say that that's where they're going to be the whole year, but... With the way Minnesota's played, the defending champs, the young upstart Thunder, and the Clippers who have cooled off a little bit after that nine-game winning streak. As I mentioned, the Celtics beat them the other day. But the West looks like it's going to be very intriguing. And then you have the East, which is going to be top-heavy with Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia, where Philadelphia lost to Miami, and that was one of the games there last night. You had no Embiid in the game. You also had no Jimmy Butler who was out, so I don't know if that made for an intriguing game. I wasn't on top of that as I was tuned into Baltimore and San Francisco at that time. But for the NBA, as we get past Christmas Day, and I get it that it was swallowed up by the NFL, even with the competitive games that you saw in Kansas City and Philadelphia, not sexy matchups to say the least, nightcap by the Raven-Niner game, 
Next year, the NBA will have their day because with the leap year next year, it will be on a Wednesday unless the NFL plans to put a game on Wednesday. And with the NFL, you can't put it past them. You wouldn't be surprised if they would do something like that because they will swallow and just leave every sport, every team, every game in its wake. But that's what you have there in the NBA as we get closer to the end of the year and we'll take a look at Detroit right now as, like I mentioned earlier, They're on the cusp of NBA history, but a history that they do not want to be a part of. And you have to feel sorry for them because this is a proud organization. We could go back to the bad boy days. We could even go back a little bit even before that. If your name is Kent Benson, Kelly Chapuka, guys like that, before you even got to the days, Dave Bing, before you even got to the days, Bob Lanier of the bad boys, Piston teams, and even the 2004 championship team, with the aforementioned Ben Wallace, even Rashid Wallace, Rip Hamilton, coached by Larry Brown. And they're hosting Brooklyn tonight. You would think that their crowd is going to come out. Who knows if you're going to have a few of the legends of Pistons past show up just to kind of get them riled up to kind of get some whatever it is, just some good juju, some good vibes going into that building and maybe snapping the streak, which they've matched the 2010-2011 Cleveland Cavaliers and the 2013-2014 Philadelphia 76ers. So the question is, are they going to snap this streak tonight? I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. Why not? I get it. Records are made to be broken, even ones that you don't want to remember. But they're going to have to win one of these days. That's all there is to it. And why not tonight? Why not the... Pistons, just go ahead and snap the streak and everybody could just say hallelujah, a late Christmas gift to the fans, to the organization, and even to the city as the Pistons just try to get themselves out of their own way and snap this 26-game losing streak to the tune to where they're 2-27 and and I'm sure they do not want to lose 28 of their first 30 games to start off this NBA season. So I'm going to say it. Let's see if that actually happens. But that's what you have in the association. The NHL, after a couple of days break, the schedule comes back up today. Nothing much to really discuss there. I know Alexander Ovechkin snapped a 15-game goalless streak where he scored a goal. I believe that's his 830th of his career. That let me bring up and double-check. But Ovechkin, who I don't know if teams are keying in on him or if he's laboring some injuries or just hitting a goal-scoring slump, But he was able to get that goal there the other night. Let me just see here as I pull this up in real time. He snapped his goal-scoring streak against Columbus there in a win. And the Capitals have actually played well. In fact, the Capitals are in New York tonight to play the Rangers. So we'll get to see him up close and personal here. If he could uh, piggyback off of that game he had there last week. But the NHL in the whole, like I mentioned, everything is pretty much... Status quo, not much has happened considering that you haven't had games here over the course of the last couple of days with the Christmas break. But we'll crank it up and give it up for my Islanders. I know I've laid low with them, although they played better. But this team, who was wallowing there a few weeks ago, losing bad games, losing in third periods, giving up third period leads. And here they are, now currently in second place in the Metropolitan, six points behind the Rangers, and they haven't even played the Rangers yet. So keep that in mind. And they've had nine overtime losses. So they've at least been able to gain points. And that's the most by far in the sport. But give it up. The Islanders have played superbly here. And although the record doesn't look sexy, 16, 8, and 9. But they are where they are in the standings. And they've actually played pretty well. And looks like Lane Lambert, the coach of the team, his job looks like it's safe as of right this moment. But uh, other than that, that's nothing much to unfold I know Vancouver's played well to the point where they're now in first place with a two-point advantage over the Golden Knights, as the Golden Knights have pretty much been in first place the whole year. Although Vancouver's been lurking, but now they've taken over in the Pacific. And besides that, that's what we got there in the NHL. And I want to wrap up talking baseball because now there is a new evil empire in the sport. And last year at this time, it belonged to the New York Mets based on Justin Verlander and a couple of other moves that they made, and knowing that their payroll, as you saw there in the last couple of days, they have to pay over $100 million in luxury tax based on their $345 million payroll of last year. And we know that the Mets, although were very 
staunch and were very aggressive in their pursuit of a one Yoshinobu Yamamoto and even matched the Dodgers dollar for dollar as far as procuring his services to come to Queens along with Kodai Senga. But instead, he chose to go with Shohei Otani and the Los Angeles Dodgers. So now, front and center, the LA Dodgers have become the Darth Vader of the sport. Now, we can unpack this in so many different ways, whether or not this is bad for the sport, is it good for the sport, is it good to have a rooting disinterest to a Dodger team that did win a World Series in a pandemic year, but throughout the course of a 162-game season, they have not been able to get to the pinnacle of the sport by winning a World Series that they did so in 1988, a la Kirk Gibson, Tom Lasorda, etc. Well, the only thing I'm going to say is, thank God it's not the Mets who have the bullseye on their back. It certainly is going to be the Dodgers. And mind you, Otani is not going to pitch next year. It would have been even that much more juicier if he would have towed a rubber with Yamamoto next year. But as it is, he's going to be a DH and he's on the team with his $700 million, although a ton of that deferred. And now with Yamamoto in the fold, 12 years, $325 million. And if you listen to the podcast on Thursday, I talked about how I would have given him six years $240 million, he would have gotten $40 million a year, more than Garrett Cole, a little less than Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, but as he turned 31 years of age, once the contract is up, he could have gotten another contract where he probably would have made more based on his performance over the first six years of his deal. Obviously, that's not going to be the case. I believe there are a couple of opt-outs involved in there. He's going to get $27 million, so he got the length, he got the years, he got the money, and it's an obscene contract. That's all there is to it. A guy who is not pitched in the major leagues, he can win all the MVPs in Japan and have the low ERAs and have all the accolades and the deserved praise of what he did there in Japan. But now this is a whole different beast altogether. And I understand LA is not New York, Philly, or Boston because if he signed that contract here, the spotlight would have been all on him. And I'm sure it's going to be on him too once he pitches every fifth day. But we all know that L.A., it's a Laker town. That L.A., there's other things that people are going to get involved in. And who knows, maybe the Dodgers will have a little bit more of attention considering the signings this offseason and the upgrade of the rotation with also Tyler Glass now. But yes, we can now look at the Dodgers as a team that everybody can root against, even though you have good guys that you want to root for, a la Mookie Betts, a la Freddie Freeman. But as far as this team, their success... And I understand you can't take away what happened during that pandemic year, but is all the pressure on the Dodgers right now? And are they the evil empire? And are they the favorites to win the World Series? That is a resounding hell yes. And now we will have to wait a few more months. And obviously pitchers and catchers in mid-February and for spring training and for the season with the curtain to be raised in late March for... Everybody to throw their barbs, throw their criticism, their critiques, their angst, their whatever it is at this team. Because it's not going to be on the Mets. It's not going to be on the Yankees. It's not going to be on the Red Sox. It's not going to be on the Giants. It's not going to be on any of those teams. It is squarely on the LA Dodgers. So we have plenty of time to sink our teeth and to roll our sleeves up to throw all the barbs we want. Obviously, the one last question is, is good for baseball? Absolutely not. They will never go to a salary cap. I'll say never, at least as long as I'm alive. But the sport needs a revamping in the worst way because there's no way that these teams could procure these players at just astronomical levels and for the sport to survive, especially when it comes to other cities like Pittsburgh, other cities like Cincinnati, other cities like Miami, and I get it, they made the playoffs. Other cities like Kansas City, like Cleveland, like Detroit, and I understand Detroit is a four-sport town, and but still, they pretty much play in a small market, especially after the passing of Mike Illich, and Colorado, and I get it, you can look at Arizona, a team, 84 wins, they made it to the World Series, come on, J-Reels, give them credit, absolutely, but is this going to be sustained? We need to see some sustained excellence with this Arizona team, we don't want a one-hit wonder where they're going to fall off the map and then come back in five years. The Dodgers, as we know, they won division after division after division after division year in and year out, other than the one year when they won 106 games and lost out in the division to the Giants, who won 107 back in 2021. So I don't want to hear it that the Dodgers, with their sustained success 
and their division titles, although they flamed out the last two postseasons, but they're there every year. Teams like Arizona, other teams that may have had their one hit, even Miami, they made it to the playoffs, obviously didn't go far, but still, do you expect them to be part of the playoff mix here in 2024? Have they made any big moves this offseason? Absolutely not. Same for Arizona. Have they done anything specifically? All right, they traded for Eugenio Suarez, the third basis of Seattle. And I believe they also got Eduardo Rodriguez. Moves that are typical of a team like that. But they're not going to be the front runners to get any of the top free agents in the sport, a la New York, L.A., Philadelphia, Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, etc. They have to have these smaller deals that could pay off, but that's the big underlying word, could pay off. And we could argue that Yamamoto could pay off, or Otani could pay off, or whatever, but we know that they have a track record. Eduardo Rodriguez does have a track record, but it's not as sexy or not as complete as Otani or even Yamamoto for what he's done in Japan, even though we could look at that, but that doesn't automatically mean it's going to translate to success here in the States. So that's why on so many levels that it's bad for the sport, it's bad for baseball, it's bad for the whole economical structure that they do need a salary cap, etc. But this is the world we live in when it comes to baseball in 2023. They're going to thumb their nose at the salary cap. We understand the success that it's had in the NFL, in the NBA, to a certain degree, even in the NHL, where you could have an 8 seed go to a Stanley Cup final, as we saw there last year with the Florida Panthers, or even an 8 seed with the Miami Heat. You're not going to see that. All right, Arizona, they did. And obviously, they had the hot hand. But as far as overall sustained success year in and year out, that remains to be seen in Major League Baseball, where we know for sure, especially with the Dodgers, that has been the case. That'll do my good people. Another episode in the books. I'll be back in 48 hours with another episode to close out 2023 in what else? Grand fashion. Thank you so much, people, for stopping by, carving out a few minutes out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. You know the deal. Just so we can increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. Follow me on my YouTube channel at JReels. Want to hit me up with a question, comment, or suggestion? You can do so there or on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, X, J Reels, just the number, or J Reels One, just the number, excuse me, or the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. As I like to say, I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing on God's green earth, delivering sports. Unlike any other on the one hour, where else are you going to get this format? I don't know, but you know what? You got it right here. And I'm going to keep on keeping on as long as we conclude this year, like I mentioned, in just typical fashion. And next year is even going to be bigger and better, I promise you people, with nothing but passion, fire, fury, energy, with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise, analysis, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.